And this is Nurse Coffee Talk. How's Good it brunch, going? everybody. Good brunch, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. You know, it's funny. I was listening back to one of our other episodes. Maybe I already said this last week or whatever, but we didn't introduce ourselves. <laughs> I stand by it. Listen, you just got to know by now. I know, but for all of the new people. Welcome, new people. Welcome. I'm Jamie Baker. I'm That's Sarah, Sarah Matthews. Matthews. <laughs> do people think that our voices sound the same? I don't know. I think they do a little bit when I listen back. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. Whatever. Do you guys think we sound the same? Is it hard to differentiate? They're not answering us back right now. Talk louder. We can't <laughs> hear you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, anyway, so last night I was at home doing some work on other projects and my coworker messaged me. I happened to be awake at like one in the morning. Classic night shift syndrome. <laughs> I know, right? And she asked me, hey, do you know what our policy is? How long can an EMS field IV be left in? Mm, It's a great question. I know. And I said, well, honestly, I don't know what our policy is. I said, but I've worked at other facilities where a field line had to be changed within 24 hours. I've also worked at places where, like, they didn't really give a rat's ass If it was a field I was line or not. Say, so I don't, this is not my area of expertise. Yeah. I get logistically and charting wise and whatever why, but like, ki- like kind of why? Why would you need to change it? If it, or Do they use different stuff that isn't compatible with your stuff? No. I mean, sometimes the J loops aren't great because you can't clamp them. But where I worked that made you change them every, like after within 24 hours, Mm -hmm. that was an infection prevention because they were assuming the field line was dirty. That's fair. Is it though? Well, no, because I think you're, you're re putting them at risk for infection by taking it out and putting in another one. But I think it's a minimal risk really in general. So I would feel the same. Like, wouldn't you notice? You would see if it was dirty pretty quick. No, I'm not talking about dirt, dirt. I'm talking no, about I know. like germ dirt. I know. But like if the deed's done at that point, like I don't really know why flushing sterile drugs through that line would make a difference after that long. I don't know. I have no idea. But anyway, so she asked me this and I got to thinking, why is the standard so different from place to place? We're all doing the same things. Right. And then it just, it honestly, I went down a rabbit hole last night. (laughs) Of thinking about things that should be universal that aren't. Well, yes, but also like, why isn't nursing practice universal? For example, we are all supposed to be performing a standard of care that is based on evidence-based practice. Mm -hmm. So if we were all doing that... By that definition, every hospital should be submitting to that level of care. Mm -hmm. So everything should be identical from place to place to place. I think it's because a lot of places, I mean, at least a lot of places I've worked have kind of done their own evidence-based practice, especially with things like infection prevention and things like that. Um, And they do refer to other things, but because there's so much data out there, places have the opportunity to pick and choose what they want to listen to and then make honestly in my opinion arbitrary guidelines because it's like you could read something that says that they should be on bed rest for this many hours versus something that says they should be on bed rest for way longer or way shorter or whatever like whatever you want it to be you can find you can almost always find something to support it so to me it's arbitrary well that's not entirely true because while you can find things to support whatever you want to do. That is, that aspect is true. If there's that much evidence out there, then it is a nursing responsibility to perform a meta-analysis. I agree, but what I'm saying is that places don't. Like, they just, I mean, maybe they do. I don't know. Allegedly, evidence-based practice, I mean, I'm talking true evidence-based practice, comes from the National Institute of Health. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, the National Institute of Health has like a kabillion people just sitting around doing research. So can you do a meta-analysis and tell us whether a field line should be removed within 24 hours (laughs) or whether it doesn't matter? Right. And then every hospital in the entire country follows this one rule. Like, for example, I work at 
I work for multiple hospitals in the same healthcare system, and there are certain things that are different. From place to place. It's yeah. different within the hospital system. Yeah, for sure. I know that's I mean, that's, that's not even like a system-wide policy. It's just like the hospital does whatever the fuck they want. Here's a question. You know how like the big push right now between Prescani and a variety of other things is the indi- individualized patient care plan where it's like, you're not just a number, you're not just floating through whatever, like you come in and we look at you as an individual with your own specific needs and develop a care plan based around that. Is the idea that, I mean, I guess if it's, if it's hospital wide, it's hospital wide. So you're already not looking at individual care in that way. But I feel like those are contradictory things of like, I don't really know what I'm trying to say, I guess, but it, it feels like pandering at times. There's a difference between an individualized plan of care and a standard of care. Yes. Okay, let's just take one for example. So I will tell you a huge discrepancy is where the IV needs to be located for a CT angiogram for a rule-out pulmonary embolism. Mm -hmm. Okay? So I've worked at places that say you must have an 18-gauge IV in the AC. I've worked at other places that say it needs to be a 20 or greater and it has to be above the wrist. I've worked at some places that say it has to be above the wrist but below the brachial. I've had other places that are like, eh. Just put, just put one in. If it's a 20 and it's in the hand, we can work with it. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. That, to me, my understanding on the on the discrepancy is that is that it's radiology preference. Well, I not was going like to say, a lot of these things we're going to be talking about are going to be doctor preference. But that's a problem. Like, yes. we should all be practicing a standard of care. Anyway, I'm hot and bothered about I this. I agree. And <laughs> like I said, like, I just went down a rabbit hole last night. I was like, mobilize the nursing president like we need to take it to the hill well here's one like my that comes up all (laughs) this comes up weekly we have a policy in our hospital that if a patient is initiated on a continuous milrinone drip they have to be monitored in the hospital for seven days before we can discharge them from my job perspective insurance does not have any such policy so if the patient is otherwise medically stable and now on this drug that they're gonna live and die on Mm -hmm. they don't feel the need to pay for all those days unless other stuff is going which often other stuff is going on but like say the patient yeah. is a unicorn and is just like a, so so super stable except for this new milrinone but of course the risk mm-hmm. of arrhythmias and things like that like we want to make sure that they've had i mean i think a week is a reasonable amount of time to have monitored mm-hmm. someone on this especially because mm-hmm. we're going to send them home and not lay eyes on them like that's but why serious. could they not go home on a halter i don't know that insurance will pay for something if you don't have a document like a halter is what for 24 hours well I mean, you could wear a halter for however long i mean we get end up having issues where if they go into vt we need to address it right away yeah sure because like i've got patients from all over the state and many many other states most of our patients don't live close so mm-hmm. you're looking at an unnecessary er visit or readmission or whatever potentially to a place that didn't start them on the drug who wouldn't know like these are our long-term heart failure patients that we manage so whatever i wasn't a part of that decision that existed before i got there Mm -hmm. but now we all know that this is the rule some of the doctors think it's stupid but abide by it some of them think it's stupid and don't abide by it some of them think it's great and live and swear by it but when we talk to them and they're like oh we need the patient needs three more days here they get to say no we'll just send them home and so every day, every week we have the conversation, then why do we have the policy? Right. Someone in your system within, and you know, doctors were involved in this decision. It wasn't made, you know, unilaterally, obviously by anyone in particular. Sure. It's like committees on committees on committees anywhere. It's ridiculous <laughs> to get anything done. 24 months later. <laughs> 24 months later, we had a policy that now nobody uses. <laughs> Kill me. Like, what? It's so irritating. That sounds exactly correct. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so it comes up all the time and they're like, well, do you think the patient needs to be here and i'm like listen don't try and paint a clinical decision on me because i'm telling you what the policy is right no i i don't i don't get to dictate that that's fine i'm telling you that i need to document somewhere that i explained the risks to you based on the help policy to make sure in case it was like oh this well they didn't know not that that's ever been an excuse because you have to know the hospital policies why is it your job to explain to the physician why the patient needs to be there for seven days. I don't have an answer for that, but that's my whole job and it's exhausting because they don't care. Oh my God. No, because physicians just do whatever the flip they want. Well, to quote my coworker, and he'll be delighted to have this little shout out. <laughs> everything I do is too much and not enough. 
And like everything I do is useless. It's either too much or not enough or both somehow. And right. we spend a lot of time doing stuff that then gets canceled without being told that it's going to be canceled. And I'm like, okay, so I just spent a week authorizing a med that you just discontinued. I'm going to throw myself off the helipad. Mm. <laughs> if you're going to throw yourself off something, at least make it the active helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> what if I like grab the bottom and like hang for dear life? Yeah. Let's see how long, you, see how strong your fingers are. <laughs> I always think that whenever I'm watching any kind of movie where someone's like hanging off the edge of the cliff and has to pull themselves back up, I'm like, that right there in this scene is when I would die. Yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have even been holding on for as long as they were to even have the option to pull yourself back up. No I'd be way. Long no gone. Way. Bottom of the ravine. <laughs> and you would have just been like, you know what? I just you know give what? up here. I'm not even trying. This is, Good night. Goodbye, this everyone. This is the end. This God is the end. <laughs> <laughs> it's been fun. We had a good run. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Anyway, I am, uh, I'm all about this. Uh, I, I really feel like we should fight for this. We should just, I think there should be the troops and yeah, I agree. There's a huge list of things that I think should be universal. And you know what else is on that list that we, that, you know, gets me agitated is the state to state NCLEX guidelines and licensure. Oh, we, I mean, you and I, we stand firm on this. I mean, nursing licensure should be a federal licensure. Truthfully, I haven't spent a lot of time researching this, but all you hear is how the projection of shortage of nurses, you know, as the boomers start to retire, right? Mm -hmm. So this makes it super easy for nurses to go anywhere. And you've got nurses that live in border states all over the country. Right. You know, that most of them are probably dual licensed, but either way, it makes it so easy to just go back and forth. It is such a hassle. I was just talking, oh my gosh, I was talking to a travel nurse the other night and he was telling me um, that he was getting license in a state that was like adjacent to his state. However, it was still probably 300 miles away. Right. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like it was close and they issued him a temporary license to get started working, but you had to get fingerprinted in the state within 90 days. Oh, jeez. And I'm like, so what if you lived across the country? Yeah. So you mean like he was given a temporary license before he was ready to start work at the, at the Correct. other state? Yeah. And so then Correct. it's like, you better get it. Because it's like, for me, for example, when I left my home state that I was licensed in and practiced in, mm-hmm. not only do I still have that license because it was such a hassle to switch it that I was like I'm going to keep up both of them and just pay for it because if I ever want to go home or need to go home or something happens and life life happens and I have to to have to do this all again is not worth it I'd literally rather pay the money and just keep it active absolutely but that's fine when you're when you're licensed in two states when you start getting licensed in six yeah, seven no, eight states thousands of dollars no way yeah that's crazy when I switched it over it took months because they got my birthday wrong and they lost all my shit and I had to redo so I mean it oh literally took forever I couldn't even apply for a job you I know you we were working together when that was going I on. remember when you were going oh through God, that it process was agony. every night I'm on the phone with someone and you're like are you still dealing with this I'm like I I hate this state. I'm going to die. <laughs> I couldn't even apply for jobs until I had the license. Like right, I was correct. not getting a single call back because I had to, you have to answer on any job question. Are you currently licensed in the state that this job is in? And I had to put no because right. I wasn't. That's an easy thing to fact check. And so I knew I never got any callbacks because of that. And the moment I got it and was able to put that, I got a job. I mean, how quick? Like within within a week. It was very fast. Way too fast. I know. (laughs) Wait, a little little too fast (laughs) for my liking. I was like, oh, God, now I have to like move and figure out what the hell I'm doing. It was, a, it was a long decision that turned into a quick decision, basically. Yes. I Yes, it was. I, oh, I remember that whole process. Oh, boy. Oh, well, yes, I am 100% with you. Licensure should be just every state just agrees to accept another state's yes, license. And if you want your CEUs. You just get one federal yes, license. If you want your CEUs to be specific to your state that you're practicing in, fine. Understandable. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll do 10 CEUs a year. If it means that, I, yeah, to take away from this part. Yeah, I mean, it's such a, ha- it's such a hassle. Although I honestly think, I want to know, and if someone can answer this for me, maybe you can answer this for me. What do the state's 
dictate because you know how you have to do generic CEs and then one hour, one to five hours or whatever of in insert yeah. specific thing here per state. Sure. How is that decided and why? Is it based on like a need assessment, like a risk assessment within that particular state? Is it just like legislators decided this in that state? I have no idea. Obviously, the state boards are the ones deciding right. it. I'm but just curious. I really don't know because if that I really don't know how they go about making I'm their very, decision. I'm very, I'm like not impressed by that because I have to take a very, very, very long test every time I renew my license out here. Do you think they just draw out of a hat what they're going to focus on? I w- actually kind of <laughs> low key would love it if that was what they did because I think that'd be really funny. <laughs> they're like, okay, this time it's going to be mm, substance abuse. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm not really sure how how these state boards choose. Do you think they do it like how you and I decide on our topics that we're going to record on? Like very, very last, last minute. minute, just listening to a bunch of things that are about <laughs> medicine that we can pick and choose from. No, and I'm editing this out. <laughs> We are extremely professional and we have a schedule. <laughs> That's right. Oh, boy. All right. Well, let's get into our question of the day. Today's question of the day is brought to you by Fruit of the Bean Coffee. They wait until you order to roast your beans so you get the freshest roast possible. 10% of all proceeds go to support orphans and victims of human trafficking, so you support two great causes every time you order. Go to fruitofthebeancoffee.com and use code NURSE to get 25% off your first order. So today's question of the day is brought to us by Elle. Hi, Hi, Elle. And she writes, Hi, Jamie and Sarah. Love the podcast. Thanks, Elle. Yay. Thank you. I wanted to get your opinion about something. Recently with COVID, we, of course, are not allowing visitors unless the patient is actively dying, actively laboring, or for other specific extenuating circumstances. They can't even come up for discharges. They have to meet their patient in the lobby. That's annoying. My coworkers and I were talking about visiting hours and we were divided between how nice it's been versus how lonely the patients have been feeling. What do you guys think? Should visiting hours and visitor numbers be super strict or is it better to let family come and go as they please? Thanks, Elle. Oh, well, the world is probably not going to like my oh, answer. Oh, I feel I'm same. So lay it, lay it on me. <laughs> well, there's many, many ways to look at this from the ER, the surgery, the labor, the dying, the floor. I think that time and time and time and time again, research has supported open visiting hours. But is that research because it makes the patients feel more satisfied and therefore Mm -hmm. the scores are higher? Or is the research showing that the patients actually fare better. Because I will tell you, I've been a patient in the hospital. And I mean, when you're really sick, I was very, very, very exhausted entertaining visitors. Okay. And as a patient, I felt really conflicted about that because I was like, look, I know that people are here to show me that they care. They're here to let me know they love me. But I feel like shit. I look like shit. Mm -hmm. I really just want to sleep. Now, this was years ago. So I was like doped up on pain Mm -hmm. meds and like I I, I just I had a fever. Like I just wasn't feeling good. And I'm like puking all over the place. And, you know, my family's like sitting there like, okay, so, you know, and it was I, I felt very conflicted because like I wanted them to know that I appreciated them being there, but I also wanted them to leave. I also think that people, and this is maybe a little, I don't know if people are going to want to hear this necessarily either, but I think that people use it as like a gauge and a a proof of how much they love and support somebody. And it's like, oh, did you go visit so-and-so in the hospital? It's like, no, they're recovering. They don't need to see me. I will, Mm -hmm. I will, can offer them a casserole when they get home. Like, So, like, there's, like, a community thing to it, too, of, like, oh, this is my neighbor, and they're so-and-so, whatever. I'm like, if my neighbor came to visit me when I was puking in the hospital, you bet your boots I'd be like, no, I'm not, get out of here, I'm not doing that. But it puts, I think, that wildly open visiting, it it ultimately is patient-dependent because some love having someone with them and it makes them feel safer i get that i respect that and some don't want visitors but don't know how to say that and if we had strict visiting hours i would think it would give people a a free out like blaming mommy on something like oh nope sorry visiting hours are over guess you guys gotta go sorry good night yeah 
as opposed to i've worked yeah. in places with both one had completely open no rules and it was honestly chaos it was horrible and then one had really yeah. strict ones and i liked that better i always like it better as a nurse yeah. and i'm gonna tell you as a nurse it's been amazing. oh my god it's been amazing actually getting to do your job yeah. and not have because when you have family members there your job, which is already hard enough to take care of the patient, is also then extended to the family. Like, I mean, th I'm sure this is how it is on the floor, too. But, like, if you have family members at the bedside, I'll come in the room and, like, family is requesting drinks. Right. And family is right. requesting snacks. And family needs to know directions. And family needs to know about parking. And family... And I'm just like, this has... No my job is not yeah. you at all. Although what's hard with it has been like the billion phone calls that have to be made when they're not all in the room together. Yeah. My friend was yeah. telling me that um he had a patient with COVID and he was treating them very well and being respectful and all the things but he's like I talked to like six people it was just one grandchild after another and finally I had to be like no you need to talk to each other I can't do this again. Like it's so time consuming. Yeah when I worked in um, the ICU we actually made people assign like each family had to assign a point person and that was who could get information because because of that exact reason because literally you have even when you just have two and three people calling they're call they might each call two three times a day and they're asking you the same questions mm -hmm. over and over and it's like literally I, I know that family dynamics are hard sometimes but like no, you need to rely on each other for yeah. this stuff. Like, I, as the nurse, I'm happy to help you, but I cannot spend my shift talking to you guys. I mean, there were times where I literally had to tell people, look, the time I'm spending with you here is time that I'm not taking care of your loved right. one. Right. I mean, that's exactly right. And I think we forget and underestimate how we are so comfortable in a hospital setting and we know all the rules and we know how things go. And then, mm -hmm. you know, no, not a lot of people have jobs where civilians are regularly coming in and experiencing that job with you. You know what I mean? So like mm -hmm. if yeah. I walked into someone's random office, I'm not going to know how things are run. I'm not going to know how they schedule their meetings or what, pro what programs they use or how they put together their spreadsheets or whatever businesses do. I don't even know. Mm -hmm. But then we have this expectation that families and patients know how to navigate that. And so what I'm thinking about specifically is like family who will be livid that nobody has called to give them an update today or or yeah. or at all since the admission and people being like, don't mm. you think that's ridiculous? And I'm like, no, no. your patient, your the patient's A&O. There's no reason why they couldn't relay. The patient can call yes, you. exactly. Right. But they have this movie based experience and idea in their head. Now, if the patient's completely yeah. out of it and inappropriate and can't, that's a different story. I think we should be more cognizant of that, although I know doctors are not. But, mm -hmm. you know, I regularly will have people call me and be like, vendors and representatives who will hear it from patients be like, they're telling me that no one on your side has called them at all. And I'm like, why would they? The patient's completely normal. Right. I'm not going to call the daughter out of the blue and be like, did you want a medical update? Right. No. Stupid. No, not at all. So, I guess to answer the question, it sounds like we're both on the same page. What was the actual question? Should they be should... strict or should they be open? Um, super strict, no visitors, forever and ever, <laughs> amen. <laughs> I think for sure there should only be one person allowed to stay overnight ever. And that should be only under certain circumstances. And there should only be two at the bedside at a time at any given moment, honestly. Yeah. Now, I will say if somebody is like actively dying, different, different yeah, situation... Different. Giving Labor, birth, different. different situation, or obviously a pediatric yeah. patient. In the same way that we feel like COVID has shown us ways that we could function that we never really knew and how we can run mm. on fumes in different ways and how certain things are not necessary, certain things are crucial. You know, people who never thought they could work from home are now figuring out how to work from home, even if it's not ideal. Right. This is on that list of like, we have restricted visitors for a reason. Now, I know patients have been, I mean patients want their loved ones there i respect that it's really scary to be in the hospital when you don't know what's going on yeah for sure but i think this goes on the list of like maybe we accidentally tapped into something that's worth exploring when life opens up again yeah okay so what i'm hearing sarah say is also very very strict, strict. good night <laughs> 
Elle, thanks for the question. We appreciate yeah, that was a good it. One, Elle. We got to get moving on into yes. our topic here because I'm running out of time. Because guess what? Ton- tonight, my husband is taking my son fishing. Night We're fishing. Doing night fishing Ooh. tonight. Yeah. So he's super excited. Is it the first time your son's going to go? I think he's been night fishing one other okay, time. But still, with dad one on one time, that's fun. Yeah. That'd be for like sure. a, a big bonding it. thing. I would love that. Not it night is. fishing. It's, no one's wait- night fishing. I don't want to do that. <laughs> No, this kid wakes up and the first thing out of his mouth is, Mom, can you stay home with the girls so Dad can take you fishing today? <laughs> You're like, okay, we're all chopped oh, okay. over here. <laughs> it's already started. So I know, that's, that's all right. All right, so anyway, so today's topic is uh, nurse-to-patient ratios. And before you all tune out <laughs> and think, I do not want to talk about this topic, no, stay tuned in. We need to talk we about it. what it's- people think about it because... Wow, there's a lot of there's a lot of opinions about this one, and you wouldn't think there would be, but like the 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 standard of what is safe is so wildly different from place to place. The standard of what is safe is not wildly different. No, I'm saying but it's the treated standard like of what it is, is actually, de- but like that yeah. falls under the thing that we were talking about first of what should be universal. universals. Yep, absolutely. So the one thing I will say as I was actually scrolling through Facebook today, of course. And somebody posed a question about do your hospital staff, according to like a standard ratio, or do they uh, staff based on acuity? And currently where I'm at, everybody staffs based on ratios, um, except for the ER, which is a free for all. And hard to predict because acuity changes like the wind. Yeah, but I also work in another systems ER where we are one to three. Wow, that's great. It's wonderful. Are there days where you totally don't need to be that low? Uh, yes. But also I'm sure sometimes where it's drowning because that's the problem with yes. this. And that, that's kind of what we're going to get yeah. into is like, realistically, it should be a cutie. But how on earth do you plan for FTEs and whatnot with with something yeah. that changes every single day like acuity? I mean, the current strategy of like, yeah. you do it based on a ratio unless you have a really specific... Like patient in leathers, it needs to be one to one. A patient on a drug desensitization, that needs to be one to one. Whatever, like something like that. But otherwise, it's like you try and disperse the acuity as best you can if you have like a decent charge nurse. Yeah, and what hope for the best. I worked at a place where they assign a point system to patients, and yeah, so like different cri- yeah, different criteria would assign different point values, and then an assignment had like a max point value for the assignment mm-hmm. total. Which, in theory, is a really great way to do things. I struggle with the practicality of that. Qualitative versus quantitative data for something as fluid as patient acuity is hard. Right. Because they try and assign number values, but, like, you know, to give points to an IV antibiotic, a patient who's crazy needy, like, I used to, when I would be charged, we, because we did a lot of different things to try and capture this. A lot of it was just, like, people, like, going around to nurses and then being like, I don't know, like a two. And, like, you know, stuff like that, which is, like, per- and also indiv- certain nurses are going to think things are harder than other nurses. Yeah, sure. But then we would have this, like, quantitative written down point thing. And then the nurses would write in the comments, like, you'd have to be careful where you put this because if it was outside their door, they could see it. But crazy right. needy, like, plus 500 points. Because, like, that will take <laughs> up your whole day. And I was like, Brothers, okay, guys. so her, her um, assignment is 520 points and then his is 16. Right. <laughs> Tell me you're paying on an arbitrary scale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> We're always trying to qu- to quantify data that it's a human science. It's hard. Yeah. Well, I mean, subjective is subjective. Yeah. Uh, but it, I mean, if you can if you can assign like an acuity based on like okay well this is a quadriplegic that is a total care patient yes, right you know versus an ambulatory 20 year old walkie talkie right. you know i mean those are two very different acuity right. levels and so you don't give somebody the assignment that you had on your flow where you had a cbi yeah. a <laughs> yeah. vaginal yeah. hemorrhage a quad and a go lightly prep plus two others who i don't remember anything about that i probably <laughs> didn't even assess them right so you know i mean that's like, that's kind of, but, but again, there's not like a science to that unless, I mean, I can understand assigning the point values to things like that 
because that is more quantitative. Like you have a quad, you have a go lightly prep, you have, you know, like there are certain triggers that would say like, okay, this patient is much needier. Now the one who's on their collate all the time, like, (laughs) I don't know what you do about that one. That's just, you take away the, you take away their (laughs) collate. Like in the ER. (laughs) Yeah. Problem solved. (laughs) Oh my God. I had a, um, charge nurse called me the other night and no joke I think she called me like seven times in like three minutes and she kept like I would say you know do my introduction phone answering and and every time she'd be like oh and by the way and then we'd hang up call right back hang up and I'm like Finally, I just go, dude, you're going to lose call light privileges. Literally. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you please like, cluster care to promote rest? You're killing me. Oh, my God. It was, I was like, pull it together, <laughs> woman. Pull it together. <laughs> oh, my God. I'll have people call me like three times in a row. And I'm, and then when I finally, because I'll be on a call, another call. And so I'll, I'll call them back and yeah. I'm like, I just want to ask, what did you think was going to be different from the first call to the second call? <laughs> I know. Because if I'm busy doing something, giving me four seconds between calls isn't enough time. So, like, right. what is it? I would have... I saw that you called. I'll, I'll call you back. Like, what is it that you wanted? It's like that doctor. I've been calling her all morning. It was like 10 and 10.04. Yeah, you're like, okay, twice and She was like, I was minutes. literally trying okay. to get your patient out to the sniff. But okay, sure. <laughs> I know. I have, one, I have one person in particular that when they call in for their assignment, they literally just keep dialing me over and over oh and God. over until I answer. I mean, are you brain damaged? What, what do you think is going on i have had to escalate it like there was one day i was actually putting a line in somebody and so of course i couldn't get to my phone because i'm like elbow deep in patient right. care and the phone just kept ringing and ringing and ring and i couldn't even like hit decline because i'm like bloody right. and stuff you know oh my god and so i'm trying to hear the patient my phone my phone must have rang for like 13 minutes <laughs> no oh joke my god and I'm telling the patient who's trying to rest yeah. and like relax. Well, and I'm just like, I am so sorry. I'm so embarrassed. Blah, blah. I've escalated this person to management several times. Like, listen, you need to have a talk with her. Like, this is not appropriate. It's not a, like she needs to leave 10 minutes in between phone calls. And by, by the way, she's calling in like an hour and a half before she even has to be here. So worst case scenario, if you don't get a hold of me, just pop in and get your assignment when you get here. That is, that falls under the category of your emergency is not my emergency. Correct. And like, y'all need to get a little bit of perspective, like, and relax. (laughs) That's insane. I know. Next time she calls forward to me, I'll take care of it. I'm going to talk to her. (laughs) <laughs> will do <laughs> will do no the last time she called i i was i was on another call and she just kept calling in and finally i put the person on hold and i was like listen this is where you're going tonight but you have got to leave 10 minutes in between calling me like this cannot happen anymore Good. i said i don't answer the phone because i'm involved in something else right now i can't get to your call i will call you or you can call back in 10 minutes when i'm done did, say, oh, did she say anything? Serenity now. No, she was like, oh, okay. Fuck you. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> and like, don't act like this is the first time you've ever heard that because I totally. know the managers have talked well, to you several times about Well, we had nurses that this. would do that when we were working where they would just like, clearly they thought they were just the most important thing going on. And I'm like, you'd finally get back to them and be like, what? I'm like, should I keep another nurse tonight? And I'm like, oh my God, it's literally seven o'clock. Oh. <laughs> I can't even talk about what's going to happen in four hours. Like... <laughs> Oh, I yeah. have a billion other things to do right now. I literally cannot. Like, I'm so sorry, but. Oh, my God. But yes. Yes, because yes, y'all about that... to get hit with admissions because you're clearly not busy. So. Right. <laughs> Buckle, Buckle up. up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, speaking of admissions, yeah. <laughs> we got to get Thanks. back to ratios. <laughs> so what did you. So obviously we have like the the er has their own does er have a set ratio i've worked at numerous places that have all different kinds of ways of doing it i work at one place currently where they have a one to three ratio unless for some reason they're short-staffed and then it's a one to four ratio but i don't think i've ever had four patients at one time at that place Um, the patients do tend to be sicker because there's a large population of like nursing facilities around the area You know, I know that's stupid, but I never thought about how that would change because it's like obviously physically what you're closest to. 
because they're yeah, required for by sure. law to come to the closest ER. So that makes sense. Yeah. And so when they come, obviously they're sick, yeah. you know. And knowing, knowing them, they've been sitting on the patient sick for a minute because they're like, well, <laughs> we got to call our doctor in from Florida to. No, because they haven't been in the room to check on yeah, the patient Yeah, talk about ratios. They've got 48 patients for a 12-hour shift. Oh, God. Mad respect oh, to truly. people working at skilled nursing facilities. Literally can't even imagine. I don't know how you people do your job. Bless your heart. Do you do anything but give meds? I don't know how you would have time except to do that. Yeah, honestly, how would you, how do you even have time? And, like, as soon as you're done, you just, what, start over again? Because then it's time for the next phase? Yeah, basically. Then it's morning med pass. I don't know. I don't know what time they do their med passes. Well, write us in. Tell us. Tell us how it is that you get through 40 patients in a shift. (laughs) Because we're complaining about a one to six ratio. (laughs) Buckle up, because we're ready to complain for something a lot stupider than that. (laughs) Although, in theory, acuity is a little different. But I, I guess not always. No, not always. But... Most of the people that are at, like, longer-term places, like, they're, that's their day-to-day living. right. You know, so. But anyway, so I have one ER where I work, we're one to three. I have worked at, most I find are, like, one to four. But I work at, like, a few that it's just, they do zone nursing. And so if you're with a good team, if you've got, like, easy-peasy fast-track type patients, you might have six or seven patients at a time yeah that makes sense because we did we did zones too when i was yeah and obviously it was you know the trauma rooms were their own thing up front and then the other zones like basically we put the patients in the zone based on their acuity so like the fives that are suture removals Mm. there could be 12 of them back then it's like boop 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 and that's why it takes them so long to get actually discharged it's like sorry we're doing 30 other things right correct yeah but i mean there's no there's no level of urgency so it doesn't really matter i mean you're gonna get them out when you get them out and you know what they came to the er so they can freaking wait Sorry. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so some places uh, where we're doing team nursing or zone nursing or whatever, you know, it's kind of like, it's give and take. It's like, look, I'm not busy right now. I'll take whatever rolls in next. Or look, I'm getting hammered. I've got this critical patient. Can you pick up in the zone, you know? And you just kind of like balance with your partner and it's, it's a give and take. Now, if you have like a shitty zone partner, that's a world of difference. Mm-hmm. Cause there was one time I remember back in the day, like I just kept picking up the patients as they came in and my zone partner was just like literally sitting on her ass yeah. and I would leave the patients on the board for like 10 minutes to be like, come on, you're going to pick them up. You're going to pick them up. And then she wouldn't pick them up. So finally I'd pick them up because I don't want the patient to suffer. So I've got six in the zone and she's got one and I'm like. Well, that's not right. I literally can't. Why even do this job? There are jobs where you can literally just sit and not work hard. There literally are. Like, I don't understand. Whenever I come across a nurse who's like that, it's like, the you know, the amount of effort they go to to get out of doing work. It's like, it would have been easier just to take the patient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 49 phone calls to try and convince so somebody that you shouldn't have to take this patient. I'm like, literally, you could have just done this task. Wait, that wait, you're talking about the floor now. <laughs> I mean... Well, and right now I'm talking about my current job. But anyone, like at any point, I don't know. It's just as irritating. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Sometimes people exert a lot of effort to... To get out of work. Get their way, know. whatever their way is. That's strange. Anyway, so let's see. So we do zone. And then I've worked at other places where, I mean, it is literally just... A- a free for all like <laughs> oh great you have like assigned rooms but then they just start piling, piling people in the hallway Jeez. and like there was one place i worked where like you had the ambulance triage in the back of the er and then you had the walk-in triage in the front of the er and so they would each rotate whose turn it was and so they were supposed to write it on like the the big triage board in the computer so that everybody could kind of keep track of like whose turn it was. Well, they would consider you, if you had a bed assigned on a patient, they would consider that you didn't have that patient. Oh, sure. That's how reality works. Right. So you might have like four beds assigned on patients, but the floor won't take rapport. We've talked about that. Right. And also you're getting hammered and not in the fun way. (laughs) And so you can't physically take your patient up and there's no transporter Mm -hmm. But triage is like, oh, well, you don't have those four patients, so we can give you four more. So all of a sudden you're sitting on 12 oh patients and you're like, are, 
are you freaking kidding me? Like, this is so unsafe. So floor nurses, when you're tr- dodging report, take a minute to think about that. And you, because I know that you just have an empty bed sitting there and it's not a, like, a, come on, that's wild. Yeah. So, I mean, I like there was one place I worked and I was like, this is the wild west. Truly. Like, well, once, once you start piling people in the hallways, like when I took my, um, my friend to the ER. Oh yeah, you were telling me about that. Well, it's happened a few times now, but this one specific time, like we were in the hallway, but we waited forever. And then they took us back and we're like, so we're going to immediately take him for a CT to rule out like a stroke. And we were- You're like, we're out of the TPA window, like, thank well, you. I've been in the waiting room for four hours. So like, I don't know that mm-hmm. really that's the best idea, but sure, have at it. Have a good time. <laughs> Yeah, th- I mean, that kind of stuff is, is scary, but that's the reality, that reality. when we're talking about and the ERs in, like, pre-COVID ERs, mm-hmm. where, you know, 70% of stuff doesn't need to be there and is clogging up the ER yeah. so that patients who are really sick can't get into rooms. You know, that's, that's and that's part of the problem. Like, a lot of the ERs have implemented uh, a strategy called pull till full. And as nurses, we call it fill to kill. <laughs> Because their research shows that patient satisfaction is improved when people aren't waiting in the waiting room. So they would rather pull them back into the hospital bed and have them wait there. But are you telling me that they think patient satisfaction improves on a gurney in the hallway? Yes, because they have they feel, access to a physician yeah, and, and whatever. Walk by, they can they feel like they're really getting treated. They can flag them down yeah. and yes, exactly. Okay. All right. So that. that's so what they do is they just keep piling into the rooms until there's literally no more rooms and then they start using the the waiting room. But the problem is then once you're full, then there's no place for the really sick patients. So you you might have your rooms filled up or even your hall beds filled up with like a sprained ankle. Right. The place I worked, because it was like a summertime, like peak destination kind of thing, they would change their mm-hmm. strategy for the summer when like in the winter was just completely dead. Like there barely anyone lived there. It was like a small town. But summertime was like mm-hmm. when all the tourists came and stuff. And so they would convert part of, I don't know what it was normally, but they would convert whatever it was like office area to the fours and fives that come in with like sprains, breaks, sutures, stuff like that. And it was, Mm -hmm. I thought, I always thought that was a brilliant idea because they just didn't need the space normally, but then they would open it and uh, crank those patients out and leave the real rooms for like the traumas and whatnot that come in. Yeah. And I mean, I think most ERs have what, whether they call it a fast track or an express care or, you know, something like that. I think most ERs do have places like that. But usually those areas close down at a certain time yeah, of sure. night. That makes sense. And you might still be bursting at the seams. Right. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Well, and like I had a... And even those things fill up yeah, too, of course. you know, so... Well, I always think it's interesting when people, like patients admitted to inpatient, they are having their own experience. Realistically, that is what they need to care about. They're sick. That's serious to them. Like X, Y, and Z, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like a question of, you know, obligation versus like common courtesy. Like as a person, you have to understand that there are emergent things that are more important than your random scheduled right heart calf. So you got bumped for three days and I've heard about it from six of your family members. And I'm sorry about that. But like if if I'm being told that emergencies came in that that booked up the cath lab from dawn till dusk three days Mm -hmm. in a row, that's a that's a huge deal. And I'm sorry, but, like, you are safe and stable here, and they are not. Right. I, You know, that's the kind of thing. It's like, but if that person was waiting in the ER for their emergent right heart cath, and we're told, oh, well, we have a scheduled one first, they would be quick to be like, you better be bumping that schedule, because that's stupid. Because this is emergent. Right. And that, like, that, that very, like, human divide really seems to happen quite, quite quickly once they get to the inpatient side. It's just wild. Well, yeah, because, uh, because people are generally egocentric. Yeah, we're the center of our own universe at all times. Right. Right. I want to move on to uh, other patient ratios. So uh, we talked about the wild, wild wild west that is some ERs. (laughs) <laughs> but there was a time so I want to talk about med surge ratios have you I know you work surgery what was your ratio like when you work transplant when I first started it was three to four from 7a to 7p and then I believe and it was four from 7p to 11 
And then we picked up a fifth at 11. So, like, we would always come in at oh. four, and then we'd pick up our fifth at 11. Or if you came in at 11, you started with five. That's so it annoying. It was really annoying. That's so annoying that they that they think that yeah. oh, Night yeah. Shift is so much, like, has more time. Um, and we've talked about that, too. But then it was really frustrating when you would have had a horrible night with five. Yeah. And then you're giving yeah. a report to a billion people because everyone comes in only having three. And you're like... Oh, oh this is agitated. So eventually they changed it to be everyone on day shift had to have four. They like lost that extra nurse, which was a big ordeal. People were pissed about that. And like that, I mean, that would be busy. I understand that. And then after I left and like, we, you know, five at night with fresh transplants, fresh, giant, horrible GI surgeries. Um, plus yeah. your smattering, of course, of medicine that overflow and things like that. And uh, <laughs> you know the liver patient screaming at the top of their lungs, trying to get out of bed all night long and stuff like that. Some and like that's just night shift, but like sometimes it was dead and it was fine, and sometimes it was awful. And five really got yeah. to be unmanageable. And then God forbid someone have to go home sick or something, and then you have six. Six? I feel like I feel like six is unmanageable. I feel like six is unmanageable, and I know that's standard for a lot of people. And I feel in my heart so much sympathy for them because that six is it's it's just too many things to keep track well after i left they petitioned acuity based to have only four at night because they were Mm -hmm. were churning out first of all transplants have no timeline so like they will come out whenever they come out and if you need to make space in the icu you're looking at icu transfers in the middle of the night to make space when we're in high occupancy and stuff like that so yeah absolutely you know those patients obviously are heavy so I think they only right. have four now all night long, which is awesome. Yeah. Because the patients, awesome. patients in hospitals, my dad says this all the time. And like, he hasn't practiced in a long time, especially he hasn't practiced at the bedside in 40 years. And he, he always yeah. says like, patients are just sicker than they ever have been to be in the hospital. They are. You are sicker than yeah. they've ever been. Like, it just was not like this Absolutely. back when they established these, I, this ideal ratio. It's just different now. No, he's a hundred percent right. And they just keep getting sicker. Yeah, so. truly. <laughs> Well, and things get more complicated too. I mean, we're doing so much more medicine than yeah, we ever well, used to do before. Yeah, we're keeping people alive through things that would have been an absolute death yeah. sentence before. Correct. Even like liver transplants, they used to stay in the hospital for months before and after. Yeah. Um, and yeah. now it's like we can have them out in a week. It's yeah. just a different world. Kidney transplants are basically drive at this point. It's like a, yeah, like a McDonald's. I know, right? Isn't that so funny? I remember when I worked HEMOC on nights, we had one to six. And every once in a while, you get a seven. Oh but I remember when I was orienting, I wasn't a new grad, but I was like less than a year in. But I had had quite a lot of experience because I'd been working two jobs the whole time and stuff. So I was orienting. And first of all, I was like literally get in there and just start your med pass basically by the time you get report because you've got a huge 9 p.m mm-hmm. med pass and then by the time you're done with that there's sometimes 11 o'clock meds mm-hmm. and then you gotta like get your charting done and then it's time for like one, 6 a.m like meds. meds and 3 a.m meds and yeah it's crazy but i remember going into a room with my preceptor and i was it was her it was her patient. It was, yeah, she was orienting me. So we went in there and I was like, I was like, we need to turn her. She hasn't been turned. And we turned her and she was like starting to get a bed yeah. sore. And I was like, we got to get her off her bottom. Like she's starting to get a bed sore. And I remember my preceptor broke down crying and she was like, I just can't take care of all these people. Oh, no. And I'm like, it was the most gut-wrenching yeah. thing in the world because that's exactly how you felt is that how you am just I don't have time. People? Yeah, like this patient is suffering because I can't physically be in enough places at once to take care of all the patient needs. And it is so, so incredibly insulting when people, and by people I mean like lawmakers and administrators and wh- whoever who don't do the job, try to dictate what it should and shouldn't be and use it as a reflection Mm -hmm. of like your lack of efficiency oh well they can handle x y and z listen if you want me to give good not even great good nursing care i need to have less patients this is insane right but i hope i hope your grandma enjoys being taken care of with eight other patients like what are you talking about but, you know, the, this comes back to the other side of it, which we've talked about, like, how, okay, like, night shifters do tend to have a little bit of downtime, and I'm sure day shifters do too, mm-hmm. right? But 
if we really went in there with the focus of like, I am here for my patients. Like, that is why I'm here. I'm not here to hang out on my phone. I'm not here to like hang with my peeps. I'm not here. This isn't playtime. Like, I'm here to do a job. And if people really kept that at the center, I think we would in general provide much better care. I do agree with that. But I also think that, so let's say for like you work way more than 36 hours, but let's say, let's just talk Mm -hmm. about people who work 36 hours, which is what I normally did Mm -hmm. or 32 Mm -hmm. and then 40 or whatever it was to come in to do 12s and 12s and 12s and 12s of nonstop working like that. Other yeah. places don't like normal. Like even if I in my current role come in and I'm nonstop, it's only eight hours. That is so much different yeah. to me than being like on your feet running ragged for twelve hours straight. Like I, I think that if the idea is that you need to work and to provide care so that you don't have downtime to like hang out with your friends and chat, you, your the burnout rate is going to skyrocket. Mm, I mean, maybe. Like maybe, I think that's p- part of work life balance is also having time for. We also only work three days a week in theory. In theory. Yeah, but I think I mean. Um, like I know plenty of people who have enough stretches of bad 12s that it pushes them to leave and that comes to a grass is greener thing too but like and but also I mean and obviously what we're talking about ideally is having you know less patients in general I know like telly floors tend to have less step downs obviously have less ICUs although you hear about wild things that go on in the ICU when they're strapped and it's like you've got pairs with circuits and stuff and you're like oh my god like how are you how are you doing this so I think it's I mean, there's a shortage, but also there's stinginess associated with it, too. Yeah, but I'm just... My point is, like, I'm not saying nobody can have any fun. Like, that's not what I'm... I just... I worry that if ratios were decreased, and let's say they said, okay, there's absolutely no more than one to five on med surge ever, or especially if they went down to, like, one to four on a, on a med surge, which, honestly, you could provide really great care to patients at a one to four ratio on a med surge But floor. say I got everything I mean, done really- and I hung all my meds and I did all my assessments and I've done all my wound care and I've done all the things, right? And I still have moments. Mm-hmm. I think the implication of, like, you should always be in a patient room, like... My patients need to rest. They don't need a stranger. I'm a stranger to them. They don't want to chat with me necessarily. Like there's a, a, some who would love you to be in the room 24 seven, certainly. But yeah. in general, like if I wasn't admitted to the hospital and my nurse kept coming in to be like, hey, how's it going? Do you need anything about it? I'd be like, get out of here. No, get out of here. I don't need anything from you. I'm not suggesting that you need to be in the patient rooms all the time. I think you're misinterpreting what I'm saying. My point is that... At a, let's say they said one to four ratio, if the nurses are sitting around too much, then that's when they come in and say, well, you've got time. You can take care of a fifth patient. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. Yes, I do. I think that regardless of how busy we are, there's still a public perception that we make TikTok dances and play cards. Well, that's nurses putting that out there. You know, you know how so I feel about that. So if nurses... Stop it. Everyone I know, needs to but stop. If, but if nurses don't want the perception that all we do is sit around and make TikTok videos and cards and play cards, then stop putting videos up of dancing and playing cards. I mean, you know how I feel about it. <laughs> stop playing. Stop taking videos while you're at work. How well, about yes, that? In general, nobody else does that. Stop. What are you talking about? <laughs> Nobody's sitting in their cube going, "Hey, Bob." And check you me know out. that the, most of these facilities, <laughs> most facilities, don't allow phones out. Right. Like I know. you know, like I, if I saw a video posted somewhere and I was administered, I'd be like, "Hmm, that's interesting that they would have not only the free time to do this, but also the the cell phones out while on the unit while we're doing this." Right. Right. So don't complain about your ratios being terrible when. All right. Well, listen, we got to wrap up for many, many, many reasons. And my phone's about to die. So Um, but let us let us know what you guys think about patient ratios and what you guys think the ideal ratio should be. And if you think nurses should stop posting videos, (laughs) I've already put a poll of that and people. Some of them agree with me. Some of them don't. And y'all that don't are dead to me. Goodbye. (laughs) You guys have a wonderful week. We'll chat with you again soon. Bye. (laughs)